Hey there, internet friends, and welcome to That D Plus Show. Class is in session on the only show from that nerdy site that lets you know what kind of quality to expect right from the name. I'm your host, Trevor Starkey, and each week we'll sit down with guests to talk about a Disney Plus offering of their choosing. This show is made possible entirely by the support of our patrons over at patreon.com slash thatnerdysite, so if you like the show and can support us over there, we would definitely appreciate it. If you can't, no big deal. The fact that you're listening is awesome, and of course, we'd also love it if you like, subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with your friends joining me today we have cameron abbott back again how you doing cameron doing good doing good i'm happy to hear to be here talking about one of my favorite films yeah and and we are going to be talking this week all about darby o'gill and the little people so why did you pick this movie cameron why did you go with darby o'gill and the little people you know it's interesting because when i first heard about the disney plus program i thought oh this will be cool like they'll have like They'll probably have the Disney original, or sorry, Disney Channel original movies. They'll have, you know, um, the animated films. I'm sure the animated TV shows that we all grew up with, or that a lot of us grew up with, um, when ABC had like an animated block after school, like every other major channel did back in the day. Um, yeah. And I was like, I'm sure that'll be there. And then I started seeing all the like really old Disney Vault films come through. And that got me really excited because I love, like, I grew up binging, uh, like, one of the reasons I talked about it when we did the first episode about uh, a Goofy movie, um, I'm kind of a, like, not necessarily in the closet Disney kid, but I normally don't talk a lot about my experiences with Disney just because they're my childhood and there's a lot of that that's repressed for various reasons. Um, That's a joke, but... yeah. (laughs) um no i love like in i grew up watching um the every sunday my like i sat down to watch the like disney movie that was going to be shown and a lot of times it was older films from the vault so i loved watching um the swiss family robinson um like i i had dreams about building uh like a tropical island fort home from that film um (laughs) i like the like just there's so many amazing films that got made during this period of time that are just all but forgotten and it and the best part is is that these were films helmed by Walt Disney himself these are films that he himself wanted to see on screen and you kind of see the lo- like the like we forget about like what is the reason why we have adventure like there was adventureland at um, at Disneyland Mm-hmm. Why there were these... Because they're very outdated by the modern sense of the modern Disney fan. But there's such a strong historical presence for these these rides and these attractions and these little shops and stuff. And it's from these older films that I just feel like they people have forgotten or just don't even know about. Especially young Disney kids who have come up with the animated films. <clears throat> when they think of Disney, they think of animated films, but they don't know about these really fun, funny, incredible, small films that don't have massive budgets behind them that are basically stage productions put on film. And Darby O'Gill and the Little People is one of the first, like, technical marvels to come out of, you know, Disney Studios as far as, like, technology goes and filming and... (laughs) Like, it's just, there's so much about it. And the fact that it, they do everything they do in this film at the time that this film is made is a marvel. And it's yeah. it's literal film magic for the time that it is. 
Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It definitely, like, it feels its age, but then, like, seeing stuff like the um, the Banshee sequence and, and, like, the horseman and, and even, like, how they chroma key, like, the horse to make it look possessed or whatever, mm-hmm. um, it, it was like, oh, yeah, like, when you put that in the context of this movie coming out, you know, not too long after Sleeping Beauty or something like that, it's like, oh, yeah, th- these are, like, really early, like, digital effects that we're seeing um, that have kind of been, like, the precursor for a lot of what would come later. I, I would compare Dario Gun and the Little People to a film like Tron, where... While the film itself may not be like extremely stellar, it does have a real good quirk and charm to it that also serves as a precursor to movie technology, especially that we take advantage of today, like photo, like Photoshop and After Effects and things like that. That you know, it's important to remember that it wasn't when you had to do like a chroma key. It wasn't in a, on a computer. They had to like on the film itself, like, color it. And, yeah. the, like, the the work that goes into all of that. and the, it like, the, basically the, animating the, the, like, physical print of the film. Yeah. It's, it's incredible and astounding to think that, like, this film, this little film, was such an incredible endeavor towards, you know, the technological advancement of filmmaking, but also that it's a goofy, dumb little film film set in like the story is a dumb little goofy story set in a small Irish provincial town and it's just it's also filled with Irish like like Irish lore and um between because little people in the film are literally leprechauns yep um and the leper and it's like the leprechaun king who's like a you know mythological figure in Irish mythology and the banshee and the like the black carriage and all these sorts of things, and it's just a, a little fun film that is just so incredible in my heart. And it's like it's always had a special place in my heart alongside the Swiss Family Robinson, um, you know, films of this era that were the staples of Sunday night Disney Channel. Yeah. And Very the cool. best, yeah, and one of the best parts is, is that a lot of times if they were older ones, um, they'd be introed by, like, the, all the Sunday night films were always introed by whoever was in charge of Disney at the time. But when they showed these older ones, um, it was usually, I'm trying to remember who was the CEO at the time. Uh, because it wasn't Bob Iger. Bob Iger's the CEO now. I believe it was his son-in-law, um, Walt's son-in-law, who was the president in the 90s. But, or, uh, like Roy? Roy Disney? Not Roy Disney. Um, his son-in-law. No, uh, I mean, I'm like, I just to... went, I watched through, like, all the Imagineering story, because before Iger was, um, oh, what's his butt? Now it's escaping me. Yeah. yeah. A- anyway, but the best part is, like, they would say, well, you know, you've heard it, for, heard me talk about it. Let's go hear what Walt has to say about it. And then they show, like, Walt's intro of the film. And it's for Darby O'Gill and the Little People. It's very special because there's no man who believed in the suspension of disbelief and the importance of it than Walt Disney. And yeah. to the point, I th- actually, I'm not going to spoil it because I think you have a note here about it. Um, about oh, yeah. how he About <laughs> how he set up this film. It's incredible. Yeah. And it, like... 
it yeah we'll get to it but it caught like that was the first thing watching this movie that caught my eye when like that little title card comes up i was like oh god he did that for this didn't he that seems quintessentially walt disney yeah um uh michael eisner is who i was thinking of um I think it is Michael Eisner who I was thinking of. Because, like, he was definitely, when we were growing up, he was the head of Disney. And especially, like, rewatching the Imagineering story on uh, on Disney+, Plus, I remembered so many of those, like, yeah, like you're saying, like, the Sunday night Disney show. I, like, I remembered him talking to the camera and to the audience, kind of, to intro the stuff. Um, so, I would guess it was him, but could have been somebody else. Okay. So, anyway, I, think, um, I think, yeah, the biggest reason I wanted to pick this film is because... I wanted us to kind of not just do the animated films or the um, Disney original channel films. It's the Disney so much more. And I think that's the advantage of this platform. Of Disney yeah, films. no, and that that's very much what I kind of envisioned for, um, for this show. So I think we had a great like little trio of introductory episodes for that D plus show, because when I like thought of the, the idea for this and pitched it, it was basically like, yeah, we're going to like tackle the, you know, well-known animated stuff. We're going to tackle like the Disney channel original movies. Like we did last week with Eddie's, um, million dollar cookoff. <laughs> and then the we're going to also just hit the random obscure things like Darby O'Gill and the little people from 1959. So That'll lead us right into the history lesson. Uh, this was originally le- released June 24th, 1959, specifically in Dublin. Um, it also got released in L.A. and New York later that week on the 26th and 29th, respectively. It didn't get wide release in the U.S. until June 22nd, 1960, so pretty much a year later. And it just, like, even looking that up, I was like, oh, God, that's right. Like, the film release schedule was just so vastly different, you know, 50 60 years ago um that like it it had like a small targeted release and then didn't really go wide to because there wasn't really a wider market so much at the time um it was very still like you know limited out there um other notable releases of the time that i identified uh if you look kind of at its first uh release year 1959 you had porgy and bess releasing pretty much at the exact same time and then a year later, when uh, it kind of hit wide release, uh, it also released like the week after Psycho, uh, which released on June 16th, 1960. It is an hour and 33 minute runtime. And in the Disney timeline of things, um, for live action movies, this came pretty much right between The Shaggy Dog in uh, March 19th, 1959, my birthday, and uh, Zorro the Avenger, which came out September 10th, 1959. Uh, Also notable, something I I kind of identified here, like I said earlier, Sleeping Beauty, um, one of the, you know, very early Disney animated films, uh, came out January 1959, so earlier that year. So that was kind of Disney's more or less 1959 was this smacked right in between Shaggy Dog, which um, Brian Nabish and Jackson, like, tweeted out so i'm gonna try and get him on for for that show at some point um and then yeah like one of the zora movies um which were kind of like uh, a regular feature of the time so looking at the roll call of who's who in the film uh the director was robert stevenson uh who before this had done old yeller a few years earlier the iconic um 1957 classic that broke many a child's hearts uh growing up 
Uh, and then a few years later, he would go on to direct Mary Poppins in 1964 and Bedknobs and Broomsticks in 1971. Um, he did a lot of Disney stuff kind of throughout the remainder of his days, uh, but those were a couple of the highlights that I picked out. I the mean, writer, those, those are three incredible films. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the writer was Lawrence Edward Watkin, uh, who uh, did Treasure Island in 1950, The Story of Robin Hood and His Merry Men. At least that's how it's like listed on IMDb. Disney Plus and like even the poster just has it as The Story of Robin Hood uh, in 1952. Uh, and The Great Locomotive Chase of 1956. Uh, and then like... A subwriter is H.T. Kavanaugh, uh, who basically had written the Darby O'Gill stories um, in, I'm guessing, Irish culture. I didn't do too much digging into that because he had yeah, zero other IMDb it's credits. literature that he wrote. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, you have this film starring um, Albert Sharp as Darby O'Gill, who had done Brigadoon before this in 1954. Janet Monroe as Katie O'Gill, uh, who did the um, aforementioned Swiss Family Robinson that mm-hmm. Cameron was talking about. He did, uh, she did that uh, about a year later in 1960. Uh, most notably for, I think, anybody who's going to be listening to this was Sean Connery here as Michael McBride. Uh, he, of course, was known for seven films as Bond. Uh, and then he was also, you know, like Henry Jones in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He did The Rock. He did Finding Forrester, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He has a long storied career. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, lastly, the one I pulled out and highlighted is Jimmy O'Day as King Brian. Um, he had done like he. Like, he doesn't have too much on his IMDb. Like, I want to say it was, like, oh, less than 20. He was not a film actor. He was a Right. He was, he was less than, uh, he had less than 20 credits. He did a lot of stage stuff. Um, but he had a TV special uh, in 1964, about a year or two before he passed away, I believe, uh, called The Life and Times of Jimmy O'Day. And it was, like, a TV movie where he just seemingly talked through his, his roles and stuff. So, um, that was cool. Yeah, um, he, was a, he was a very famous Irish stage actor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then on to trivia, as Cameron uh, alluded to earlier, um, one of the first things this movie pops up with is uh, is kind of a, a placard uh, from Walt Disney saying, my thanks to King Brian of Nakashiga and his leprechauns, whose gracious cooperation made this picture possible, uh, <laughs> Walt Disney. And that was basically because one of the first like trivia moments here is Jimmy O'Day and the other actors who play leprechauns were not given any screen credit, nor did Walt Disney allow any other material to be published about them in the marketing for this movie. Disney's intention was to give the illusion he was using real leprechauns for the filming. Disney even went so far as to film The Magical World of Disney, Season 5, Episode 6, I captured the King of the Leprechauns, in which he and Darby, played by Albert Sharp, managed to corner King Brian and convince him to participate in this movie along with his people. Yes. So, so that's absurd, but, like, just fits in so, like, that definitely, you could definitely not get away with that kind of stuff for, for like, union reasons and any of that stuff nowadays. Uh, but uh, the, the 50s and 60s were a different time. Disney had, you know, the clout that he had, um, and, and yeah, that, like, tying into the guy who wanted to make sure that, like, wherever you are in Disneyland, you don't see the outside world, um, like, this just makes perfect sense that, that he would have gone, I mean, like, the, the closest, most recent analog I could think of would be something like the Blair Witch Project that, like, like, made so many efforts to make it 
make people believe that that was a real, you know, like found footage kind of film. Um, and, and even you know, that was like 15, 20 years ago or whatever. That was, yeah, no, that was like straight up like 20 years ago or 19, I think it was 2001 Blair Witch Project came out, but, and then that was like the last one that we've had. But even then before then, that's, this is not a very common tactic that people use because most of the time yeah. it backfires horribly. Yeah. Um, because it turns out actors tend to be egocentric. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also because you should credit people, but like, oh man, no, like this is just, it's peak Disney. It's peak Walt Disney that he wants to, like I said, I don't think there's any person who's existed in filmmaking who believes more in the idea of the suspension of disbelief than Walt Disney. Um, to the point where like he would do, he would, he filmed an actual like special of him running around the Irish foothills with a, with Albert Sharp dressed up and talking like Darby O'Gill, chasing down King Brian. Like, yep. And Walt Disney was old by this time too. Like he's not. Yeah, I mean, this was yeah, this what like a only a couple of years before he he passed as well. So yeah, like this is it's nuts. Yeah. Um, other trivia we have with the death of Kieran Moore, who played Pony, uh, he passed away in 2007. Sean Connery is the last surviving cast member, which ties to another one of like the the notes I made as I was going through this film. Um, this is this is a throwback to that era where you have like the entirety the entirety of the credits playing like in a musical montage before the film starts, and it's like seven screens or something like that and that's everybody who is in this movie i think like eight people are cat are, are like technically credited in the cast or whatever because it's basically darby katie sean connery not the leprechauns as we just covered uh and then like a few of the other townspeople pony and his his old lady slash maybe a witch mom uh and then like lord fitzgerald or whatever and and i think like a couple of the pub people uh but everybody else is just like they were extras they were there they don't get any credit which not uncommon but like the production team behind this was so small that it was like 50 people or whatever <laughs> so yeah it's um, this film was, like, these are the films that used to be, like I said, they were made on a soundstage, and they were built to be more like plays that were just recorded. Yeah. And it's just, but of course it's Walt Disney, so it feels alive. Yeah. Uh, continuing on, Walt Disney had seen Albert Sharp, who plays Darby, in a stage production of Finian's Rainbow, uh, Rainbow in the 1940s and kept him in mind for the role of Darby. So he'd wanted to do uh, this for years and years and years. By the time he actually got around to casting the movie a decade later, Sharp had already retired, but Disney was able to convince him to come out of retirement, uh, which ties to, I'll skip ahead, actually, one uh, in the doc. Um, this movie was released one year after the copyrights expired on the H.T. Uh, Kavanaugh stories. Um, so uh, already in 1959, Disney, like... Uh, really jumping on the copyright train, uh, trying to get like access to these kinds of things. Um, and then lastly, the, uh, the last little bit of trivia I have before we dive into uh, the movie itself, the leprechaun's effect looked looks very high-tech and complicated, but most of them were ac are achieved very simply by placing the normal-sized actors closer to the camera than d the tiny ones and lining them up on the same horizontal plane through the lens so the distance between them could not be detected. This technique... technique uh, 
of course, is uh, known as Force Perspective. So um, even as we are seeing like a lot of the technical marvels that are happening, uh, it's it's, you know, a nice reminder that so much of this uh, was and for many, many years, um, you know, had been done by just simple like camera trickery and practical effects. Um, I think you see a lot of that in uh, in the Darby and King Brian stuff. Uh, and then also in uh, it seems like there's a lot of that going on in the like Darby O'Gill with all of the the little people uh, in that whole sequence. Which, uh, to, which also is incredible because they do such an amazing job of lining that up just perfectly. Yeah. But also I, I want to mention there's a scene where King Brian is trying to run away and he can't run away. And so he, cause he tries to leap through a door and it yeah. doesn't work. And when you think like, okay, well how big did that door have to be? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was probably like a 20 foot door. I was, I, uh, like when I was thinking about that in that context, um, I had to, for a show we did at ASU while I was there, it was actually uh, the comedy of errors. One of, you know, Shakespeare's, um, kind of farces. Um, we had a giant, like 15 foot door. Um, and it like, it was my big project to build cause I worked in the scene shop building sets and stuff. Uh, and I basically had to like, that was like my, one of my first big welding projects that I, I built this giant door, uh, a door frame, and then a giant like steel door that could like swing open. And I think we put like stained glass in between like the, the panels and stuff. Um, but it was like mammoth and dwarfed like everybody in the cast. Um, so that was definitely the kind of thing I was thinking of uh, when, yeah, when he like springboard jumps onto and, and, you know, crashes into that door. <laughs> um, yeah. It's so good. There's just, there's just so many small, fun, great moments of it's yeah. just being like this is it's just such a charming film. Yeah, or like the size of the throne that he's on, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff that, you know, he's he's basically very clearly standing on a giant thing, but it's built as a throne around him. Um so yeah, there was there was one other one that I didn't I didn't jot down, but it was basically like Albert Sharp didn't know how to play the fiddle uh or the violin, and so when he does that whole sequence Hey, there's a lot of stuff like in the close-ups you can very clearly see he's not playing it. Um but uh but when they are trying to like have it look like he's really playing it and do like the fingering and stuff, they had two people uh who who were trained violinists um kind of working with him. One is holding the bow and the other is doing the the fingering and so <laughs> and and he's just like looking down at the thing in the shot or whatever. So Oh um, my gosh. Yeah. More movie magic. So what did we think, and how does it hold up? So, Cameron, I, I'll throw to you first, because uh, I'm curious how you think this one holds up. Like, when was the last time you'd seen it? Um, uh, I saw this film maybe, like, seven or eight years ago. Okay. Um, before rewatching it. When Disney Plus came out, it was one of the first things I watched. Yeah. Um, and then I watched it again in preparation for the show. Um, it is It is a film that I think it holds up in the context that this is an older film, um, it has like it, like it's pacing and everything about it is an older film. Mm-hmm. But if you enjoy those, or if you think that like it's a great way of looking back to see how films used to be made, but this is also I think a great easy gateway into the older Disney vault because it has somebody you know, most people know Sean Connery. Um, it's not necessarily a very lengthy film. Some older Disney films are pretty lengthy. Um, and it's just a, like, it's a fun story with a heartwarming, like, thing in the center of it that is, uh, like, 
you do not need a lot of context about what's going on. It's just, oh, this is happening. It's like, oh, like people know leprechauns. People tend to know banshees. Um, like it's very easy to grasp. And what's not easy to grasp, they tell you real quickly about. And it's great. I love this film. Not just because of its history and like my own personal feelings about it before I even put it as like the the show or the film I wanted somebody to watch and talk to me mm-hmm. about. Um, but also because I think it's it's important to note this came out a couple years before Sean Connery was James Bond. Like this is yeah, pre yeah. Bond Sean Connery. This is um, young, young, young Sean Connery. <laughs> Yeah, this was Bond. Obviously, was his big break, and and the reason he got cast in Bond was because he'd been doing he'd he'd been recognized from a lot of like British film and TV stuff like this. Basically, was uh, was what helped get him the part because he was you know he's big, strapping, six foot two, you know, handsome gentleman in this film, um, and and uh, and when he got cast as kind of the initial Bond, they were like, yeah, he can play that role. He can play an act like. He is, his character is fun because it's a, and I think it really comes down is that it really has like a great cast. Like it's, it's, Sean Connery's the most famous person in this film, but it was at a time when Sean Connery wasn't famous. Yeah. And, but Sean Connery still puts up like, you know, he's doing a great performance in it. Um, He's clearly not singing, like there's, they clearly dubbed over his singing. Yeah, that was, Um, that was another trivia thing, but like. It's like some of those I'm like, ah, it's it's hard to like debate because even even like the trivia post on like IMDb basically says like they released the song as a single, um, but there was, you know, controversy around whether or not it was really them singing or not and whatever. It's like, like, yeah, it's probably not, but it yeah. also could have been. And it just I mean, like because most of the movie is ADR'd, um, so yeah. it could have just been a case of that, too. That is true. Um, like most films back then, especially if you're filming outside, you have to ADR. Yeah. So, yeah. um, no, like I, I think it's just one of those really great, wonderful older films. Um, so like it's an older offering for sure. Um, but I think in that, but like nothing is so egregious and nothing in my opinion is like, like there's nothing extremely problematic about it. Like there's some stuff cause it's an older film and it's older and even on top of that, it's talking about an older time in history. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, it's not so egregious. Like, there's a lot of films made back in 1959 that, like, we probably shouldn't be watching today because they, they're, like, content wise, it's not good. Yeah, this was the first one I've looked at that if you, like, if you go to the description on Disney Plus, it has a little caveat at the end that, like, I, I I first saw, like, studios doing this with, like, Warner Brothers doing, like, um, re-releases of, like, their old Looney Tunes stuff. But it basically says, like, the movie is, um, like, remains in its original, you know, form and some uh, and contains, like, cultural depictions that may no longer be accurate or, or, uh, or appropriate. So it, like, it basically gives you a little, like, warning of, like, hey, heads up, there might be stuff in here that isn't going to be as PC as, as you would like today, but this is just how it was back then. And like outside, like really like the, the, the whole idea of like the leprechaun is, I feels like the only real like case of that. And even that, like I appreciate that they didn't like 
that it it was handled as like a whole bunch of like I guess like regular sized people doing uh like just doing it on a forced perspective thing instead of like um you know the munchkins of munchkin land or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But I think on top of that you also have I mean like let's be fair there the cultural depiction of Irish people stereotypically are drunk layabouts who don't do anything except sit in a bar all day and Darby O'Gill is a drunk layabout who sits in a bar like that's I think the most egregious like depiction of anything in this film and even then it's like it's shown Darby O'Gill is just like that's part of his character but that he but then you see somebody like um Sean Connery's Michael who is like serious and focused and wants to do a good job for what he's doing and it's he's very industrious you have Katie who is a caretaker who is a who does what she can not to enable her father's bad habits and push him to um like do that and then Darby is shown also to be very very quite in engineering of him for himself in how he goes about and do it does things and the way he ca- like captures King Brian is extremely smart because he uses his reputation as a drunkard against King Brian yeah. and tricks King Brian to drink way more than he did yeah um and I think like that like so it it shows a little bit of a stereotype but outside yeah. of that it's like you know it's it remains to like, especially for Disney films, of like the pre yes, the yeah. pre era <laughs> songs of the South. This is not no, definitely not. Um, yeah, I pulled up the uh, the the quote um, in the in the details of Darby O'Gill and the Little People. It ends with this program is presented as originally created. It may contain outdated cultural depictions, and like even I mean like yes to all you're saying, but like I would say that like. Nothing we see about, like, the Irish drinking culture would be amiss in, like, a movie from today. Um, no. Like, I feel like that would still be pretty much... And, and it... Because it's, it's not... It's just, like, drinking it. Like, Guinness. Like, they're, they're, like, every time they drink a stout, I'm like, oh, is that a Guinness? Oh, this probably, like, predates, you know, Guinness being a big enough thing or something like that. <laughs> but, like, that's what I'm thinking when, they're, when they grab them and, and, uh, and of course, the Irish whiskeys and stuff. Yeah, I think a big part of that is also, like... Guinness has in the modern market um, taken the corner of dark Irish beer. Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's definitely one thing about it. But uh, no, like I, that's the thing. Like I think that in the frame of reference of like, does an older film hold up? A lot of times you have to ask that question about very controversial things. And yeah, I mean, like nice we talked last week. One of them. Yeah, we talked last week on uh, on Eddie's Cookoff from two thousand three. Uh, and like the sexist like dad in that, it, it does not hold up. Like that holds up worse than I think this movie does, um, <laughs> because of like that whole runner that he's got going on. Um, yeah, in terms of like how I feel about it, this is um, you know my first time seeing this film, um, uh, and outside of like hearing you rant and rave about it when we were like talking about doing this show, and then when uh, kind of funny did an episode of their podcast where they just kind of went through like everything that Disney. Plus had like announced in their long like Twitter thread of like tweet by tweet. Here's all the things that are coming. Greg Miller like lost his mind about this one, having having watched it a ton growing up and stuff like that. And so they had like a whole little like short segment about 
uh, Darby O'Gill on that show as well. And that so that was the first time I heard about it. And then you started singing its praises. Like, okay, I clearly missed something if if these two people are have such fond memories of this thing. And more or less, yeah, I think it, it, especially like from a content and a and a tone perspective, I think it holds up. Um, the the graphics and and whatnot, of course, don't. But like to be expected. But it is again, it was a breakthrough at the time, and the uh, it. Uh, the, one of the notes I made as I was going through is like what Albert Sharp's doing in this film is probably like one of the first cases of like tennis ball acting where like he's very clearly acting to stuff. He has no idea what it's going to like, what the final product's going to look like. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so much of that is just like reacting to nothing. But uh, I can also see in so many of his sequences, like his acting for the stage, um, and it, it's it's one of those things like I remember like we were taught in school um, uh, when I when I went to school for theater, um, like acting on stage and acting on screen require very different skill sets. Like acting on stage, you are acting for the back row. You're like trying to make sure that like what you're trying to like convey can be read, you know, in your facial expressions, in your in your gestures, in your movement by the back row of the house. Um, and you don't do that on the big screen because usually that's involving a close up and you're not having to play that crazy and that big. And so much of like his laughs and just his facial expressions and reactions to stuff. Um, uh, I think I specifically took this note when, uh, when the fight between Sean Connery and pony is happening at the end of the film. And like, (laughs) it's not like, it's barely a fight in that. Like you don't see the fight happening. You just see Darby's reactions to it. And he's just like going so over the top and like, um, like, Ooh, ah, ah. And like all of his faces are just like at a 12, um, when like a seven would have done or something like that. Well, so, but I also think that's Darby's character as well. Is that, yeah, because he's, I mean, he's at a twelve the entire film. Yeah, and and that's that's I guess more my point is that like so, yeah. like he it's it's consistent, but it's it's so much larger than life that it 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 holds up the like that larger than life aspect doesn't hold up for me in like a modern era where you're not you don't have that kind of big grandiose performances as the norm um, if that makes sense um but yeah i think that was like my biggest thing i mean like i feel like katie has some like some of that same kind of stuff where like she's like there's either like really long drawn out lines where like you see the gears turning of every decision she's making instead of like reacting in the moment you you see like her hear a line and she thinks well how would my character react to this line and then she reacts to the line um and that's just another thing that like i hone in on because i've worked with directors in particular that say like cut all that stuff out like you're you're we're seeing you act too much instead of react mm. um and I think she she kind of suffers from a little bit of that um, in this film. But again, different time. That was a di- there was a, it was a very different style of of uh, performance. I, I do um, want to give a shout out to Janet Monroe who played Katie though, because mm-hmm. she passed away far too soon. Um, yeah, yeah, that was she died the, from heart disease in the early like mid seventies. Yeah, one of the um, one of the other um, trivia pieces that I didn't pull referenced the uh, the line that Darby has at the end of like better better to go as an old man than to go too soon as a young woman 
uh, or as a young person. And it kind of referenced the fact that she died like just a couple years later after after this film, uh, whereas he lived to be at, at, at like, I think, 36 or 38 is when she passed away yeah. versus him dying at the, you know, the the age of 84 or something like that. Uh, and so it was kind of like a, you know, sad little tragedy there. Um, uh, interesting enough, general, like generic heart disease. Anybody can have it. Always get yourself checked out. Yeah. Check your cholesterol levels. They didn't know too much about it back then, but we know it now. Yeah. Um, I want to give a shout out to Duncan Ince, uh, DM Dunkai on Twitter. Uh, who DM back Dunkey. When, Love you, buddy. Dunkey. Uh, back when, we, uh, when I first tweeted about this a couple weeks ago that we were going to be doing this, and then we had to kind of postpone and reschedule. Um, uh, he came in with uh, to say Darby Darby O'Gill and the Little People is a St. Patrick's Day staple, and you gotta love that young Sean Connery. This movie is a delight, and the songs are so damn catchy. So if you want to be a part of the show like that, uh, you know, I'll tweet out. We'll tweet out what movies we're going to be talking about, and you can always uh, tweet us with the hashtag that D plus show plus spelled out because if you if you use the plus symbol, it'll break the the hashtag. But um, tweet us with those thoughts and we'll uh, we'll try and include them in the show. Um, so diving on to kind of the next segment, what are some of your favorite or or least favorite moments um, of, uh, of the film here, Cameron? I think my favorite moment of the entire film, and this is getting a little spoilery, so I apologize, but the film also came out in 1959. So I mean, the the intent I always have is like they watch hey, it first. like watch yeah. this before you talk like we talk about it or or yeah, don't care about spoilers if you come into this because we're going to be talking about the whole thing. Yeah. So Darby O'Gill takes Katie's place on the black carriage mm-hmm. and he uses his last wish to do it. Yeah. And I love the moment where it's him and King Brian because King Brian's decided that he's going to he's going to go with Darby across the threshold as friends. Um, just to kind of give him companionship at the end. Yeah. Um, and it's this wonderful moment of these two men who are just complete rapscallions, just just filled with you know the Jack Napery that they've been doing this entire film to each other and to other people, and like these these you know kindred spirits are having this solemn, quiet moment. And it's this, it's so beautiful because it's so oddly out of place for these two characters who have just been goofing around and having fun the entire film to be like, recognize the solemn nature of what is happening and what's going to happen. And then, you know, a little, a little stroke of Irish luck happens and we get a happy ending, but that moment between those two and, you know, King Brian's <laughs> tiny little leprechaun man just sitting on the seat opposite to him and next to him and throughout the film. And, you know, these have these have been just such great foils to one another, but also great, you know, collaborators. And it's just such a wonderful little, like, their, their relationship is definitely a, a great highlight of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, it's just like, it's just so... Like, it's still that um, that punch in the gut when it's just like, you know, Darby, who has done everything he can to kind of put off responsibility for anything throughout this film, uh, like, swallows a pill that's almost too enormous to swallow and takes that leap for his daughter. because And it's just like, it just shows that, you know, he might be, you know, a bit of an oaf. He might be a bit of a, you know, a layabout. 
but he cares and loves his daughter so much that with very little to any hesitation, he does what he does. And it's just such a, like, it's such a defining moment for the film because the film goes from, like, we're having so much fun to everything's going to be bad very yeah. quickly. Like, oh, she's she's going to die. <laughs> the Banshee showed up. She's going to die. Like, that's the, the, the thing. It's like, that's it. And then yeah. the Banshee sends a freaking black carriage right up to their door. And it's like, man, it's it's nuts. Like, it's nuts, but... It's just such a, and then, you know, the relationship that blooms between Michael and Katie, very, you know, I don't want to say generic, but very, like, very normal storytelling, especially in films from back then. Um, yeah. Uh, real quick, I want to yeah. just go back to, um, um, on, on the, uh, on that carriage scene, because um, I was, I, I really enjoyed that, that sequence as well, even though I knew, like, as soon as he made the wish because it had been like such an established point i knew that somehow he was go- like i thought he was going to have be clever enough to make the fourth wish on his own um like once you know katie was was free but um i appreciate that basically like king brian going on that carriage ride with him is I read it at least as like he made the decision that he's going to try and trick um, Darby into making a fourth wish to like get him out of this Mm -hmm. um, the ride. So it establishes um, for their true friendship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because yeah, it was it was just like okay, well, like clearly, like once he's on the thing and and Katie's safe, now he can make his fourth wish and you know also be safe, kind of thing. Um, So I like I said, I thought that Darby was gonna you know, turn the tables because he had been made the fool the first time around, but he was going to use that like loophole to like, he, I thought he was going to exploit it this time and really prove how clever he was. But, um, I appreciate that instead King Brian kind of tricking him into it does establish that King Brian cares about Darby and, and, you know, wants what's best for him. It's just, it's such a, like the thing is the film is just filled with these little brilliant moments of, like when Darby tricks the leprechauns on how to get out of their mountain home, um, he tricks them into doing a fox, like a fox hunt. Yeah, I didn't like. I didn't follow what was going on there because, like it, it just seemed like he was just playing the music faster and faster and faster, and everybody was getting like riled up and having a great old time and stuff. And then, like suddenly. Everybody was on like tiny horses and and <laughs> fleeing the mountain, and so yeah, I was like, I, I what was what was my note on that? Um, uh, like I just have like a note. Darby's fiddle powers make all the leprechauns leave on a ho- tiny horseback? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? Yeah, that's and that's I, a very I, vague scene, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that. If if we go to like least favorite scenes, like I would say that one just because it felt longer than it needed to be. Yeah, like I, I would it, say it, so. Yeah. It felt like it was like okay, they're they're padding out the the film here a little bit by you know having this overly extended dance sequence uh, uh, to really I think show off you know the forced perspective kind of um, uh, things they were playing with there. But yeah, it just kind of went far longer than than it needed to. And, and well, I think uh, and it also it, drives it the fantasy of the Leprechaun Kingdom, where yeah. it's like look how opulent and wonderful it is. So I think that was also partly selling the fantasy part of it. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, I I also think that the film is long in the tooth. Um, but man, I just like this film is just so good. 
Like it's so like honestly, how did you really feel about it though? Huh? How like did you really enjoy it, or is it just like kind of like a, okay? Yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, like it's it's not it doesn't shoot to like the top of like my you know favorite movies kind of lists or anything like that. But like I didn't like I didn't have problems with it as uh, as I had you know like I said with like Eddie's. <laughs> kind of like sexist runner and and like oh you like you can't cook because you're a boy like this movie didn't have anything like egregious like that it just had kind of like yeah this is kind of what acting was at the time this is what you know effects were at the time um this is kind of like it, you know it's it's an it's an interesting enough story i like i really did enjoy the uh, kind of the the back and forth relationship between darby and and king brian i thought that was a lot of fun throughout um i i, I thought the like the the pony and his mother the old lady were <laughs> like such stereotypical bad guys but that's all they needed to be yeah. like they didn't need any like deeper you know like uh like they like ponies basically guest on yeah, um, right? more or less like a, a somewhat lazier guest on I, I actually uh the actual comparison i made um in my notes was that the old lady and pony are basically fairy godmother and prince charming from shrek 2 yeah they are oh my gosh it's true yeah um yeah so that, i was like that was a that was a fun little revelation and and like i it i wanted to, I wanted them to like close the loop on like is she a witch is she like the banshee in like in in like persona or whatever or is that just like you know Darby kind of like spinning a tail or something like that I feel like that was left more open ended than I would like because it looked like she was the actress playing the banshee potentially but I couldn't because of just the effect I couldn't tell if it really was her um, but she also like had I think some of the like my the the worst case of my like. Um, like bad ADR slash just like acting for the era um, where I was just like, Oh yeah, this would be a much more natural performance today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and, and I was worried we were heading down that path when like the first thing she says in the movie and pretty much the first lines we get are her telling Katie that she has to be married or she's, she's going to die an old spinster. And I was like, Oh no, don't be one of those movies. And fortunately like that, while still like kind of one of Katie's main motivations or things in the back of her mind, like Katie doesn't really subscribe to it. She's like, I'll marry when I'm, when I want to marry and whatnot. But like that, that being like the first like perspective we get, I'm like, Oh no. Um, But I appreciate that. That's just really like her thinking of uh, her line of thinking is that like Katie has to marry or, or nobody's ever going to love her. Um, So, and she, so, yeah, also wants, I, and she also wants Katie to marry Pony, and, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, like, overall, like, I enjoyed the film fine. I probably won't go back and watch it anytime soon, but it was nice. It was a good enough time. Good. Um, I'm happy to hear. Yeah, it was a good fun, good fun time. Um, I also, uh, another one of, of kind of my favorite scenes from the film, um, uh, you already mentioned a little bit, um, but I loved the... Like I loved the drinking scene between Darby and King Brian, where oh like Darby does like put his plan in place for how to uh, how to um, like keep him there until the morning and his magic. Like it wasn't clear to me that his magic like only works at night. Um, yeah, so, you like, get to know some stuff about leprechauns. Like, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it, it, it becomes clear, you know, when the plan has worked and he can't, you know, teleport through the door. And and you get, like, the, like, I, I think contextually you understand enough of that to know that there's a reason he's trying to keep him there until morning and, and whatnot. But, yeah. um, how did but you it, like, like uh, that Darby's horse was in on it? I, like, that was, <laughs> that was weird. And, and, like, the whole time I was pretty, like, anytime the horse was doing something, I was like, Oh God! Is that the peanut butter you can see on the horse's teeth that are like that? Like they use, and certainly much more back in this day that they used as like the trick to make the horse look like they're talking and stuff. Because um, like you could see all this like you know orangish goop on the the horse, and I I couldn't tell if it was just the horse had like bad British Irish teeth or or. It, <laughs> Uh, or if it was like peanut butter that they were using to try and like show off the horse. I'm know, pretty sure it was peanut reacting. butter. Um, like I, it was fine. It was just kind of a, like they, they just threw to random reaction shots of the horse, whatever. Um, <laughs> like that scene the, was, that direct, the director's very much known for doing weird things like that. So yeah, uh, I mean, Stanley Robinson's but, filled with them. Yeah. I, I very much appreciated like Darby, like, you know, like pouring the drink back in the bottle so he wasn't getting drunk i didn't think it would only take two like rounds to uh to get the king of the leprechauns like drunk like that um so maybe that's me playing more into his or uh or i guess that is the movie playing into a stereotype more than i anticipated um no because think of how big those cups are oh yeah i mean yeah like that's he's but but he's also a magical creature is is kind of the like the juxtaposition that i I don't know any i I recognize being like good drinkers i don't know anything about that i i recognize that like the uh um, the the cup is basically the size of his entire torso, <laughs> so of course it's not going to take too much of that. But, like, also, he has, what, like, 30, 40 more, like, shots, t- so to speak, because yeah. they get to round 80, or verse 80 and 81 by the, by the end of the evening. Yeah. So, like, uh, it, if you have to follow that line of logic, then he died of, uh, of alcohol poisoning, 40 drinks ago <laughs> so uh but it, yeah it, it was a fun little sequence um uh and it like it i feel like they gave us just enough of it i, I they didn't need to give us more i appreciated that like a cat is apparently a mortal enemy to a, a leprechaun that was a weird little thing that the cat comes in and and that's what king brian is so afraid of and and uh and agrees to make the wishes again and i appreciated that like um, that King Brian subscribes to the I'm gonna fuck you rule of wish giving um, in that like he can see me he just sees me as a rabbit ha 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 I, I got one over on you you jerk because you're trying to keep me in this uh, in this satchel um, yep yeah uh, that was the like yeah I, I thought um, like far too late I like I started making comparisons to like Aladdin in uh, in the movie of like um you know how how of course Darby is going to use his last wish for someone other than himself. You know as is the the trope of uh, of that kind of movie. Um, but yeah, uh, overall I enjoyed it. It was a good good fun time. Um, so I think that can kind of segue into um, our report card. Um, I'll I'll kick it off, and I think I will give this one a solid B grade. Um, good mm. above average. Um, not in the you know upper echelon of of movies, but um, it 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 I didn't hate it. It didn't 
like like because I went into this being like, oh man, is this going to be like how how is this going to be? You know, is this going to be a you know a lower you know or a, a, like, just say it, what, what is Cameron I, trolling me? Is yeah, Cameron there's, trolling there's, me? There's definitely an element of that. Um, is Cameron doing this just to watch me suffer? Uh, but no, it was, it was a good movie. Good, solid, above average movie. How about you? Where would you put this? Uh, for me, it's a solid, like, I would give it like an A minus or B plus. Um, yeah. I think it's, I'll just say it. I think it's a great B plus movie. Um, it's, like you said, it's dated. It at, Like, at the time, I probably would have said it's an A plus film, greatest Disney classic of all time. But rewatching it, t- like, twice recently... Um, within the last like six months, um, or within the last th- two months, because Disney Plus came out back in November, so I watched it November and then also this week. Um, it's very much a film that like I hold near and dear to my heart, but like it's clear like it is older. Um, if we're going to be grading the entire spectrum of Disney, um, I have to be realistic about it, and so I'd give it a solid. It's a B plus film. It's a film you could watch once a year, have a great time with, and be okay with it. But I don't think this is a film everybody's watching at least like a mo- every month or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think Duncan kind of um, uh, did it pretty or described it pretty well as like, um, especially if you have like a lot of Irish culture and a lot of Irish heritage that you want to celebrate. This is a good movie to throw on with the family around uh, St. Patrick's Day once a year kind of thing, just as a you know nice little traditional thing. Um, but yeah, um, diving into extra credit, some other suggestions if you like this film. Uh, the ones that uh, Disney Plus recommends in their suggested category are The Story of Robin Hood, which uh, is by one of the same writers as I mentioned above, um, Babes in Toyland, The Absent-Minded Professor, which um, for the modern era, and, and this isn't even the modern era since the movie came out in 1997, but basically like Flubber was a remake of The Absent-Minded Professor, so... That's another film of this, you know, time period that uh, might work. Um, and then um, a lot more of those kind of Adventureland, Frontierland um, inspired films that you kind of mentioned earlier, Cameron, in the Davy Crockett films, Treasure Island, and uh, as you mentioned, Swiss Family Robinson. Um, and I will throw on there um, Aladdin. If you like this movie, you know, Aladdin's another good Three Wishes kind of movie. Um, go check that one out extracurriculars so what else are we watching on disney plus how about you cameron what what else you've been watching on disney plus these days um so i haven't had a lot of access to disney Disney plus um disney plus is a membership that my brother-in-law and sister have Mm -hmm. um and because of disney plus is very like permanent like device settings or like the difficulty with that um we've been hesitant to put it on anything for me like that i own so my limit i am limited in when i can watch something on Disney+. Plus. However, I have gotten to watch a lot of stuff on Disney+, Plus recently. Um, if you haven't seen it, watch, and you like Star Wars, even just a little bit, watch, or like Westerns. If you like Westerns, it's a great series. Mandalorian. Um, I would also say that um, I have now rewatched uh, High School Musical 1, High School Musical 2, re- or watched for the first time High School Musical 3, because um, that one came out in theaters, and... Uh, my situation with High School Musical is that I watched the first two on a Friday night while my sister was like chose to watch them and had the controller and or like the clicker and uh, and I was too lazy to get up off the couch or from mm-hmm. my chair to like leave the room. 
Um, mainly because like I've, I'm not the biggest High School Musical fan. I actually I think they're I think they're extremely dopey movies. But yeah, I like like as somebody who is like since then like I did a stint in melodrama in my early twenties where I literally for almost a year worked for a melodrama company. Um, and so like going through that and actually like realizing like, okay, like, and like knowing that this is what the audience is like, the audience age is, was younger than me. It skewed younger than me, but it's something that I can watch and enjoy to a certain extent. Um, however, I am extremely excited to start watching the very meta version of these stories, which is the high school musical, the musical high school musical. No, it's, it's high school musical, the musical, the series that, yeah, I'm going to watch that. I'm yeah, excited it, for that because that looks like it's very much in context of everything. So, yeah, I, so that's actually what I've been watching a ton of. Um, cause I watched it like as it came out weekly and it became one of my like guilty pleasure slash favorite things on Disney plus. And in the, uh, cause like the finale, the finale came out, um, I don't know, the first year, first week of the year or something like that. And since then I've just like rewatched the series a couple times. Uh, I think they, a couple days ago released basically a companion version of every episode. That's the sing-along version. So it just will have like the, the lyrics every time they, every time they're singing, even if it's like singing in the background, um, the, the lyrics will pop up on screen uh, for you to sing along. And yeah, like, like that, that show, got its hooks in me in a way that I did I was not anticipating. So, I've been re- watching and rewatching a lot of that and it led me to go back and and rewatch High School Musical for the first time in like 10 years or something like that. And it definitely has its issues and and like it's it, but it's interesting to see High School Musical and then like the basically the High School Musical the new class kind of version that they're doing as the TV show because like the TV show um, and the the series rather has like great child actors and and they're like doing a really good job. They're they're the only time I feel like they're really over the top is when they're acting like they're acting. Um, <laughs> I'm excited like, for that though. That sounds fun. Yeah, like all of their like all of their natural interactions feel very real and very true to the characters. Um, and and it feels like a marked difference from like. Zach Efron and Vanessa Hudgens, who a lot of times in High School Musical feel like they are overacting because they're in a Disney Channel original movie um, yes. of, of the time period. Um, but and yeah, the, we now know the, since they've become actors, like real actors, like Vanessa Hudgens is phenomenal in a film that very many people have passed over remarkably poorly, I might add. Spring Breakers. Spring Breakers, yeah. She's fantastic and, in that film. Um, and, and then... And Zac Efron has come into his, his own, um, really playing into, like, uh, the comedy, the, like, very far too handsome comedy actor. Yes, 100%. I... Yeah. I love Zac Efron. Um, people don't give certain films that he's in enough credit because he's in them. Mm-hmm. But I think he really turned around a lot of people with Neighbors. And... Uh, I would say, I'm, I'm just going to say it, uh, Dirty Grandpa's a great film and people should watch it. <laughs> okay. It's not on Disney Plus, but you know, if you can no, watch yeah. it, watch it. Um, uh, did you, yeah. uh, have you ever watched the, uh, Very Potter musical? Yes, of course I have. It's, okay. it's, 
I will say a very part of musical. Oh yeah, Zach the Zach Efron Headmaster Headmaster Zephron. Headmaster Zephron. Uh, I love that runner for the first couple of those uh, iterations, uh, and I got to meet the uh, the team behind that when I went and saw Twisted in uh, in Chicago when that came out, and like they did a Q and A for like because I, I basically was out there because I was like a Kickstarter backer for that show, and um, and they did a Q and A for us, and like I I sort of regret not asking where was Headmaster Zephron in a very Potter senior year. Cause like they just completely got rid of that runner and, uh, and it would have been, a, a, I thought a fun little gag to, to hear from the crew behind that. But yeah, like that was, that was my biggest because I, like I wasn't really a high school musical fan at the time it came out. Like I watched it probably, but like I did, I, I think I talked about this on one of the shows recently. I didn't understand like the phenomenon behind it. Um, uh, but uh, like, so Headmaster Zephron of High School children. Musical, yeah, yeah. But Hi- Headmaster Zephron from uh, from Very Potter uh, Musical was was like my main touchstone for the the actor, um, uh, and and that was just a nice little time capsule of of where that show was as well. Um, but yeah, like so the those so the the I appreciate High School Musical the musical the series for like growing with the times and recognizing that this that can be a, a show with good acting and good performances behind it and not like cheesy over the top stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I look forward to hearing what your, what your thoughts on, uh, on the show are. Um, so we will have you back on to discuss them soon. I'm sure. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's what, I, that's what I have been watching was that one. You've been watching high school musical. Very cool. Um, awesome. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of that D plus show. Thank you again, Cameron, for joining me to talk about Darby O'Gill and the little people. Uh, you can follow Cameron. Oh, that was one of the other things that, that did get me about the show was like that everybody has a different Irish accent and they're all oh, in the yeah, same provincial town. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I, like, I enjoy that. It's just, you know. It's it's one of those things like if if it were a bigger deal at the time, they would have had a dialect coach and everybody would have had like the same kind of like everybody would have been trained to use the same dialect. Yeah, well, Maybe Sean Connery could have been different as a Dubliner but uh but yeah everybody else would have been like okay you guys should all sound like you're from the same town instead of like every other part of the country um but anyway um uh so thank you Cameron for for being on you can follow Cameron at Rev Cabot two B's and two T's anything you want to shout out Cameron uh yeah um I forgot to shout it out uh, a while back but I wrote an article about um why Pokemon Masters uh is the biggest disappointment of 2019 um, and possibly, possibly my entire life over at handsomephantom.com. Um, my top 10 games of the year came out over at that nerdy site. Um, and even though those two things are completely unrelated to this you know, subject matter of this show, um, if you follow me, I have been... Uh, uh, nope, actually, no, that's not a thing. I thought that was a thing. It's not a thing. I don't have anything else. I'm boring in life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, you can follow me at Trevor J Starkey on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, I would, I would shout out similarly. Um, uh, we just wrapped up pretty much all of the other, um, end of the year, best of 2019, best of the decade. Cause we, we did a whole bunch of best of 2010s lists, um, across that nerdy site, as well as the, uh, awards for that nerdy sites game of the year stuff and, uh, our top movies of the year as a site so uh, you can check out all of that stuff over at that nerdy site.com um 
put a ton of time and effort into kind of reviewing and making sure all those pieces got up. So I would very much appreciate it if you go check those out. Uh, you can follow all of that and the latest on the site at That Nerdy Site. If you want to join me to talk about one of your favorite Disney Plus offerings on this very show, you can go to thatnerdysite.com slash dpluscguest and fill out the form there. That'll work if you spell out dplus or if you just do d and then the plus sign. Um, but dplusguest, fill out the form, and uh, and I will be in touch to get you on and have you on a show to talk about any other Disney Plus offering. You can come troll me if you want. We can have a, a good fun time there. Uh, or you can watch you know something that you actually really want to watch and talk about. If you liked what you heard, please rate, like, review, subscribe, share with your friends, all that fun stuff. And if you do feel so inclined to help us out at Patreon, you can always do that at patreon.com slash thatnerdysite, and we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Cameron, for being here with me today. As always, stay nerdy and be good to each other, and class dismissed. <laughs>